This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, people, we are live on the interwebs. I'm Dave Rubin. It's September 9th, 2022. This is the Rubin Report, and it's time for another Friday Roundtable Extravaganza. Joining me today is the host of the Young Heretics show on Locals, Spencer Clavin, the host of Unapologetic Live on PragerU, Amala Ekpanobi, and the host of Viva Barnes Law, also on Locals, Robert Barnes. Spencer, Amala, Robert, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Good to be, to be here. It is good to see you good people. This is our first panel show since I've returned to the grid and obviously a lot of nonsense happened in August, and as, I, as I've been saying all week, uh, sometimes it's hard to figure out what the nonsense is because on social media, uh, you can't quite tell what is real and what isn't. So that's kind of the theme of the show today. We're gonna talk a little bit about sort of top-down White House censorship. Uh, then we're gonna talk about the Democrats who are now accusing all of us, the four good people you're seeing in these boxes right now, of being fascists. Uh, and then the continued Orwellian and delusional rhetoric from the Democrats, and is Biden gonna actually finish this thing up? We shall see. Uh, before we get to any of that, let me talk to you guys about real estate agents I trust. You guys know that buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the right agent. Our homes are often our biggest investment, which is a ton of responsibility, and you need an agent who takes that seriously. That's why I recommend real estate agents I trust. They work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework, talking to every agent before inviting them to join their network. And here's a big one, they only work with full-time pros, no part-time or inexperienced agents. Their team makes the introduction and then follows you through the buying or selling process to make sure that you're satisfied. The agents they work with have long track records, are the best sellers in their field. They're part of this audience. They share your values and they're almost anywhere you wanna go. Just go over to realestateagentsitrust.com today. Give them some basic info. They'll reach out to you. And then you move to Florida and live happily ever after. And now back to me. Okay, so uh, let's start with a little bit of the collusion between big tech and big government because we've all known that this has been going on for a while. We've played this uh, a clip of Jen Psaki, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, many times where she flat out said that the administration was flagging, her words, flagging posts for Facebook related to disinformation about COVID. That's pretty much as close as you can get to a First Amendment violation, at least as I see it. Uh, well, now uh, here is our new White House Press Secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, asked about uh, White House emails with social media companies, and it does seem that they've been kind of colluding when it comes to your speech. Um, so a federal judge talked about the social media uh, lawsuits from Missouri and Louisiana. A federal judge ordered that you have 20 days to turn over emails uh, communicating with social media companies over misinformation and uh, disinformation. Um, what are those emails gonna show? 
what kind of thing? So I can't comment. You asked me this question last week. I can't comment on any specifically ongoing uh, litigation. And so again, I refer you, we would refer you to Department of Justice. Uh, as we've said over and over again since the beginning of the administration in our battle against COVID-19, it has been critical for the American people to have access to factual, accurate, science-based information. So it's pretty spectacular what she's doing there. On one hand, she's saying she can't comment on anything. And then the last sentence there, she's basically saying, but you know, we clearly do this. Have a little bit more from the New York Post. The Biden administration worked in tandem with social media giants like Facebook and Twitter to censor statements they deemed misinformation about topics, including the COVID-19 pandemic. Two Republican state attorney generals said on Thursday as they pushed for the release of emails between top executive branch officials and big tech titans. In a petition filed Wednesday in a Louisiana federal court, State Attorney General Jeff Landry and his Missouri counterpart, Eric Schmidt, charged that dozens of federal office officials across at least 11 federal agencies engaged in a massive sprawling federal censorship enterprise with the intent and effect of pressuring social media platforms to censor and suppress private speech that federal officials disfavor. The attorney general said they have identi identified at least 45 people within HHS and the Department of Homeland Security who have communicated with social media companies about misinformation. All right, Robert, to you first. You are my official lawyer here at the Rubin Report or unofficial or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But if a government let's say the United States government, the federal government, talks to these social media companies and they get as close to saying, hey, we're gonna shut you down or we're gonna break you up or you better do this or something like that. What is the point where this becomes an actual violation of the First Amendment, which as everyone knows who's watching this, it's about government censorship, but they're, they're really pushing that line, right? Uh, no doubt. I mean, if you go back to the Bantam Books US Supreme Court case, that, that case established where any government agency is using any coercive tool to, uh, to basically censor speech at any level is a First Amendment violation. Now, the problem is the federal courts have been reluctant to extend that doctrine to the big tech context. Uh, one of the main cases that's going to be deciding this issue is the Ninth Circuit case involving Robert Kennedy, his suit against Facebook on the grounds they were acting as a government agent. And his reason for believing that was based on just a little bit of the information that these two attorney generals have unearthed by filing a lawsuit challenging what's taking place. What this discovery exposed, and there's more discovery to come, the judges ordered Fauci to produce all of his communications and all of his staff's and team's communications uh, in, within uh, three weeks by the end of September. And so that will probably be provide even more revelatory information. It was clearly so rattling to big tech that Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan and said, oh, by the way, the FBI is the one who really told me to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. He knew this was going to be coming out in some capacity anyway. But this is what we've long suspected. It's just once the Biden administration took over, it became systematic and institutionalized. And it's across all agencies, not just the Department of Homeland Security or, or, or uh, HHS. They found evidence of it with the FBI. They found evidence of it with other government agencies. Basically, government agencies that have extraordinary power over big tech 
with those high-ranking officials, not low-level people, doing what the Disinformation Governance Board was going to officially and formally coordinate had already been informally occurring for, for the entire Biden administration. And this should be a First Amendment violation. The question is whether federal courts will step up to it and recognize it as such under existing precedent. So, Robert, just on the legal side, before I jump to the other guys, is the issue here, I mean, I watched, and I'm sure everyone that's watching this saw at least some of the clips of Zuckerberg on Facebook, and he never flat out said, hey, they contacted us and they said, we're going to break you up or we're going to use antitrust legislation or we're going to send regulators in or, you know, op you know, open your books, check their algorithm, that basically they got a call like, oh, there's some stuff going on, we just kind of want you to know. So that's what makes this tough to, to really go after somebody, right? Because they get as close to that line as possible without moving over it. Exactly. They've been playing this game where they, they'll say, hey, I, I really hope you could help us out here. And then maybe next week they say, way as the White House, by the way, did this week, maybe we need some big tech reform and we need to take away your immunity or, uh, and uh, escalate antitrust actions. So the message is clear. Big tech knows what's happening. And the key is for courts to acknowledge and admit that this is the implicit reality. But they're playing a game by not making it explicit and express. Amala, you guys at Prager, you know a little something about being suppressed and there have been lawsuits against Google and YouTube and all of that stuff. I mean, are we basically at the point where for any of us that do something like this for a living, we just kind of have to just put our hands up and be like, hey, we're on these platforms and just until we're not and, and that's it. Or, or they'll just censor us to the point that we think we're doing something that people are seeing, but they're not really seeing it. Right. I mean, it's a tough line to walk there. I hope these lawsuits are successful in their endeavors. But like you said, we're no strangers to this sort of censorship. We've been dealing with it for a very long time. I think the video that we got taken down that really sparked us engaging in a lawsuit with Google was a video about the Ten Commandments being taken down and censored yep. by PragerU. So it's, it's unbelievable. It's something that I unfortunately am not super optimistic about. I feel like they have a pretty synergistic relationship between big tech and the government, and they don't want to see that relationship disbanded. Yeah, this is like, you know, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? You know, when Henry II wanted to get rid of Thomas Beckett, it said that he didn't give the order to have him off. He just, you know, mentioned in the presence of his mm -hmm. knights that this is a guy that he would really like to see gone. And lo and behold, of course, then, you know, you've got a basically a, a paramilitary force flocking to Canterbury to get this guy out of the way. It's exactly what's going on between the big tech companies and the government. And I think it really gives the lie to this ongoing uh, kind of shrug that we get from some quarters that, oh, these are private companies, they can do whatever they like. I mean, Dave, you sort of mentioned this, and I think we need to recognize that these entities are not these little like plucky garage startups, as as Robert was saying, you know, they, they, they don't just kind of come along and sell you their product and their product's really great. And oh, well, if they want to kick you off, they can kick you off. I mean, this is these have been buttressed by government funds, government, uh, you know, blowback for years and years. You know, Google has been entangled with the FBI and the CIA. And it shouldn't come as a surprise now that we're seeing that these deals are going on, you know, more and more in public because these companies have really become a kind of parastate entity and we need to regard them as such. Yeah, to that yeah, point, Robert, do you, do you think that we're almost in too deep at this point? Like when you see now that there are people saying, there are analysts who are saying that as much as 80% of Twitter might be bots, not 5% that Elon was willing to go with, but it could be 80%, or that we know that the feeds are crazy manipulated and the YouTube 
uh, recommended videos can send you off down wherever they want to send you as opposed to what you might actually want, that we're so deep in the nonsense that even if some lawsuit gets something exposed or something is broken up or whatever, that it's almost, it's almost we're, just, we're just long gone. We're past the point where there could be any uh, return to sanity, let's say. I mean, I think if the courts were smart, they could salvage the situation by reinstating the old company town doctrine. And that was when the company owns the public square, then the company has an obligation to abide by the First Amendment. It's called the Pruneyard Doctrine in California. If they would apply this to big corporations that have monopoly power in the big tech space and social media to the digital public square, they could solve this problem. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not clear whether the courts are willing to step into the breach. And what you identify is what's become the functional reality, which may require legislative reform ultimately, or in lieu thereof, people uh, simply giving punishment to these big tech agencies and big tech institutions by going out to independent alt tech. Uh, you see people like Rumble doing well. You see others doing well. Ultimately, the market competition is probably going to be the key means to do so. But it's tough to be in market competition when you have big tech, big government, monopolistic collusion. Yeah, Amala, the, Amala, I want to give you a last word on this. But even just to prove the point, I mean, we know in the last week or so since I've been back, my channel on YouTube is getting just crushed. People are not seeing, you know, subscribed people are not seeing it. We know that the search is all out of whack. I've contacted YouTube. We haven't heard back yet. But the point is, the amount, the people that are watching this right now, it, we, we have no idea how many people it actually went out to that want to get it. So that's why we're in this very weird, you think, oh, I clicked something, a subscribe or a notification, I will see it. But then you just don't know. And then you just forget that certain people exist. Amla, last word on this one. Yeah, I mean, we're constantly being throttled. If you look back at Google's history, you know, their catchphrase used to be, don't be evil. And they've since <laughs> they've <laughs> since gotten rid of that because they think they're engaged in some pretty nefarious nefarious things here. And I, I would recommend to the audience, there's this brilliant documentary called The Creepy Line, which talks about Google and, and sort of the big tech history behind some of these search engines and softwares and the amount of, of of power they have over what you see, what you hear, what you think and feel is unbelievable. They can really shape the way our society moves as far as elections go without you even being able to detect their bias. And to think that the government is not utilizing that in some way is pretty naive to me. Yeah, you gave me a perfect segue actually for the next part because you know they keep accusing us all of being fascists and yet they're the, one who, the ones who are using corporations and state power to silence us. But as you guys know, irony is dead. Uh, let me talk about the blaze real quick and then we'll move on to that. Uh, as you guys know, I was gone in August. Uh, Larry Elder, my good buddy Larry Elder, gave me a rundown of all that happened when I was away. And it was a ton. I can tell you, I was not surprised to hear that uh, Zuckerberg helped the FBI. Uh, that goes with what we're talking about right now. Uh, I wasn't surprised to hear that Gavin Newsom is destroying California. Uh, well, if you wanna think of MSNBC like California and Blaze TV like Florida, uh, then you should be subscribing to Blaze TV because you'd have to be, believe, oh, wow, I'm reading this thing all backwards. <laughs> the point is MSNBC and Cali are no good. The Blaze is where you're gonna get real news. It's why I'm a partner of The Blaze. And right now, if you use code Ruben20, this week only, you can get a $20 discount off an annual subscription. We're heading into the midterms and you're gonna wanna get news from a network that isn't run by Democrats or the spouses of Democrats. Use promo code Ruben for $20 off your first year subscription to Blaze TV. It's time to normalize free speech. Okay, so 
They keep calling us fascists, even though they're the ones using fascist tactics. Uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton, she's back and yeah, she's using the words. Here we go. You know, look, fascism is a very big word. I know mm -hmm. that. But so is socialism, and the Republicans call every Democrat who wants people to have health care a socialist. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we do need to be careful with our language, but I think the problem is if you go through the hallmarks of authoritarian regimes, mm -hmm. uh, you see too many Careless. characteristics, yes. unfortunately, uh, on our uh, Republican side. And my most fervent hope is that Republicans themselves will begin to reject all of that vo verbally, vocally in their voting and, you know, kind of reconstitute the Republican Party to where it used to be and not the, you know, party of Trump, which I think is very dangerous. Ah, so there you go on network corporate news. You have six Democrats and one woman who's pretending to be a Republican, Alison Farrer, but she's a Democrat too. Corporation. Uh, all giving you one point of view, calling the rest of us fascists. Spencer, I don't think you're surprised by this, are you? <laughs> well, first of all, this is highly irresponsible rhetoric on the part of the former first lady, Hillary Clinton. We're only semi-fascists, we MAGA Republicans. <laughs> and the president has said, it's like low-calorie fascism. You know, it's just a little bit. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm really glad that somebody like Hillary Clinton has finally, you know, stood up, called a spade a spade, and called out the political party that is censoring speech, that is using the <laughs> DOJ and the FBI to beat down the door of their political opponents and investigate a former president in a completely unprecedented fashion, the party that racially demonizes vast swaths of the country and compares other swaths to a disease. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, <laughs> I got that wrong. That's the, de the Democrats do all of those things. So, I mean, look, this, this is an old, old leftist tactic. Theodore Dorno, the, um, you know, the German Marxist, famously came up with this thing in the 50s called the F scale, the fascist scale. And it was a measurement of how fascist are you? And it was things like, you know, do you enjoy physical culture and weightlifting? Are you aggressive? <laughs> are you, you know, sexually overconfident? And, you know, these sorts of things go way, way back. It is an obvious socialist tactic to use the word that Clinton thinks I shouldn't say it's a, it's a it's a marxist tactic for delegitimizing your political opposition for writing as much of the country out of existence out of political existence and political legitimacy as you want that's the game Biden's playing that's the game Clinton's playing and they're doing it because it's the only thing they have to offer for the midterms all they can do everything that they touch turns to disaster all they can do is say look look it's the evil maga republican fascists and and, you know, God willing, I, I don't actually think this is a good tactic. I don't think calling half the country uh, evil is is uh, a way to win votes. And by the way, to your point that every other day there's an article on Slate or one of these idiotic sites saying that if you're fit, that means you're a fascist, that now working out and looking good and caring about your appearance and eating right is the Nazi hallmark. Uh, <laughs> but the, the endless sort of hysteria that Hillary just showed right there. It's just coming from almost every Democrat at this point. I would love to find a Democrat who wasn't doing it, and I would gladly have them on the show and treat them the same way I treat you guys and all my other guests. Uh, GQ ran a crazy fluff piece, cover piece, with AOC this week, and there's some real gems in there just to talk about how they're ramping up the insanity. I got some quotes here from you. From AOC, uh, this is the GQ piece on AOC. Over the course of our conversations, the Congresswoman typically answered in a confident, fast-paced patter, each sentence closely chasing the tail of the last. 
but now her speech slowed to a crawl. And for the first time in the hours we had spent speaking, she broke eye contact, burying her gaze in the arm of her chair. Tears pooled in the corners of her eyes. Jesus Christ, I'm gonna barf, that was me. Uh, <laughs> I hold two contradictory things in mind at the same time. One is just the relentless belief that anything is possible, she said. But at the same time, my experience here has given me a front row seat to how deeply and unconsciously, as well as consciously, so many people in this country hate women, and they hate women of color. People ask me questions about the future, and realistically, I can't even tell you if I'm going to be alive in September, and that weighs very heavily on me. And it's not just the right wing. Misogyny transcends political ideology, left, right, or center. This grip of patriarchy affects us all, not just women, men, as I mentioned before, but also ideologically, there's an extraordinary lack of self-awareness in so many places. And so those are two very conflicting things. I admit to sometimes believing that I live in a country that would never let that happen. Amala, I'm a little confused here because I've done many public yeah. events with you. And as far as I know, I don't care about such things, but you are a woman and a woman of color. <laughs> I have seen all sorts of people give you standing ovations and sign autographs and take selfies. These are supposed to be scary, racist, <clears throat> white supremacists. Is, is AOC a little confused or maybe drunk? What's going on here? You know, there's a lot to unpack there. She said she didn't know if she was going to make it until September. <laughs> if that's the timeline that we've got right now, I need to get going on that bucket list. Um, but I, it seems like she's having a really, really hard time. And I don't know whether or not this is theatrical because we know she's gone to the border fence and cried. She thought she was going to die on January 6th. But I would like to take a comment like that. I don't think I will make it until September or I don't know if I'll make it to September very seriously. But what does she think is going to happen? Is it climate? that's going to kill her? Is it the MAGA Republicans who are coming after her? Or is it her own mental health? And if it is that, we should be taking it seriously. It's just really hard with all the theatrics that she is constantly engaged in to take a comment like that seriously. Robert. It was really stunning and brave of you, Amala, to just sit there while Dave assumed your gender so violently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should cancel him. You are. You are. <laughs> I didn't say it. You did. You know. <laughs> Robert. Robert. Is it? I mean, look. I know irony is dead and all of that stuff. But you know, when she says, you know, she's the victim in all this. I mean, what what lays beneath everything she said there is that she is a victim for whatever reason. She's a victim. At the same time, she's calling everyone else these horrible things, does she not realize that could cause a situation where perhaps they won't make it to September because of her inflammatory language? Is that totally lost on her? Well, I think both AOC and Hillary's statements reflect confession through projection, which is one of my favorite uh, yes, yes. sayings. <clears throat> because it, it's people who, if you get randomly accused of something that makes no sense by somebody, just assume that they're confessing themselves and they're describing their own behavior. And that's what, like, AOC saying, man, there's a lot of lack of self-awareness in the world. That precisely summarizes AOC. Utter lack of self-awareness completely. This politics of narcissism, this sort of Instagram-driven politics of people that completely lack self-awareness. It, it's their defining aspect. And then the same with Hillary. They, this is someone who tried to create fascistic aspects in our own government with her ties to various operations in, uh, inside and outside government, the Clinton Foundation being the most notoriously corruption of our government in recent modern history uh, until the Biden family took over the White House. And, and yet here she's talking about someone who weaponized the FBI, who is bragging, selling merchandise over the fact that she destroyed a bunch of emails that were yep. actually work classified, while the president gets raided for things that he had a legal right to declassify. So it shows the degree of absurdity that is occurring, uh, but it's, it's both are cases of confession through projection. 
Spencer, when, uh, when they treat her like the queen, uh, and then they treat sort of Republican women horribly. Myra Flores, who's the new congresswoman from Texas, is a great example. This woman wins a seat in a border town in Texas, you know, a month and a half ago or so. Uh, first time a Republican's had the seat in over a hundred years. The New York Times writes an article, and I quote, the rise of the far right Latina. Uh, but again, it's the double standard thing that we, we just need to move past it, right? I mean, do we need to keep calling it out or should we just let it go and, and figure out a better way to fight back? Well, I mean, I, sorry, go on. Spencer, Spencer. I just think it's important with the with the comment that Hillary made to to point out what authoritarianism looks like, and it looks like big government, expansion of regulations, mass censorship, and stabbing off political dissidents, and that's exactly what they're engaged in. Yeah, Spencer. I certainly think we can get over the, you know, Democrats are the real racists pulling out our hair, running around on fire. Like, this is who they are. They've told us who they are a million times. We've seen it over and over and over again. We know they're going to behave this way. And we do need to develop some strategies, not just for complaining about it, but actually pushing back against it, electing people that will kick these guys out of office and so on and, and so forth. It all does, however, raise the really important question, which is when can we expect the AOC guest spot on Meghan Markle's new podcast. <laughs> this is, I think, uh, the, the country demands to know we need this appearance and they do deserve each other. I mean, Britain is mourning the death of its monarch as we speak. And, you know, she leaves behind her a uh, royal family that is in some ways in shambles precisely because of this this trend mm -hmm. that's going on on both sides of the Atlantic. People governing uh, not only by emotion and victimization, but also narcissism and, and self-glamorization. That's, you know, again, all AOC has to offer. She's very good at it. She looks great in that GQ shoot. You have to hand it to her. Um, but I think the, the thing that we've got to get better at is just acknowledging that these, these people are, you know, pandering fascistic bigots. And we got to, you know, move past that and, and uh, and, and fight our own battles. Spencer, you just gave me the greatest segue of all time because speaking <laughs> of narcissistic, self-glamorizing, et cetera, people, uh, Barack Obama was back at the White House this week uh, with Michelle and they had their White House portraits unveiled. And hilariously, uh, Barack thinks things are going pretty well right now because of old Joe. All did together to expand healthcare, to fight climate change, to advance social justice, and to promote economic fairness. Thanks to your decency and thanks to your strength. Maybe most of all, thanks to your faith in our democracy and the American people. The country's better off than when you took office, and we should all be deeply grateful for that. So thank you so much. Robert, can you uh, lay out a couple reasons that maybe the country isn't better off right now than it was under Donald Trump? Well, I mean, that's uh, ordinary Americans' complete expectations is that the economy has tanked, that our society is in disarray. We have a, a complete uh, debacle in Afghanistan. We have an ongoing war that may lead to World War III in both uh, Ukraine and Taiwan. So most people don't consider massive scandal explosive risk of war and a completely collapsing economy is a sign of a president who's done a good job. Amala, is the key there to the Obama thing what, you know, okay, so he says climate change and healthcare, but the key really was the third thing when he says social justice, that that really is what has driven this entire administration. They have hired a series of completely incompetent people based on skin color or gender or sexual identity and everything else. 
but that really that's what what is driving this whole thing. And maybe it's really Obama behind this because obviously Joe ain't driving the car. You know, he's had a few too many trips to the White House, Obama. He's been keeping it very close and with this candidacy and with this with this president. And like I say, David, it's never been a better time to be me in America. I could be working <laughs> in the White House right now with absolutely no qualifications. And what Robert said is right. You know, you can call Joe Biden a fantastic president and say that he's doing amazing things for this country. But when people walk out their front door and see the state of their communities, they're going to know that that is not the case, no matter how charismatic uh, Obama is. So, okay, I get all four of us, people can look at these four boxes and go, okay, wait a minute, you guys aren't Democrats, you don't like these people, this, this is too easy. So Spencer, I'm gonna give you the hardest question of the day, which is, let, let's try to give the devil his due here. Has Biden done anything good? Is anything being done right? Is, is, are we just really missing something? Are we all being hyper-partisan? Is there anything here that this man, I mean, that speech, can you get anything out of that great Nazi speech? I mean, is there anything? Let's try here. <laughs> well, what you really have to give him credit for, of course, is that he did lower the temperature, you know, of, of our politics. He brought <laughs> us back to normalcy, exactly as he promised. This was the premise of his entire campaign, is that he was gonna be not Trump. And I think we can all agree that he's not Trump. Trump presided over a great economy. He <laughs> managed a lot of excellent trade deals. He brokered a you know step toward peace in the Middle East. Uh, none of that is happening under under Biden. So he has delivered on his promise of being not Trump. I, I also think that it makes perfect sense that Obama, you know, thinks uh, thinks things are going great under Biden because he's probably closer to running the country under Biden mm -hmm. than Biden himself is. I mean, that's one thing we could say he, Biden may have done well is is uh, be incompetent or be ineffectual. You know, so much of his, uh, so many of his efforts have fallen flat, especially in, in Congress. And uh, the overreach that we've seen come out of this Democrat party, not just Biden, but the uh, legislators they've elected has been a, a gift to the country in the sense that we've seen the kind of extremism that works underneath the sort of friendly Uncle Joe uh, return to normalcy. You tried, man. You really tried. I did my best. And, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Sorry. So, so Biden, you know, we're used to him misreading the teleprompter or forgetting what he's saying or going with the crazy story or making up words or anything else. But here was a gaffe that happened a little bit uh, later after Obama and uh, former First Lady Michelle Obama spoke. Um, Biden didn't even have to speak and still screwed something up. Joe, honestly, everybody stood but Joe. <laughs> uh, first off, that, that poor sign language lady having to laugh at this, but literally everyone in the room stood up for, Jill, for Dr. Jill Biden. I don't wanna get in any trouble with Dr. Jill Biden. And Joe forgot to stand up. Robert, is he gonna make it? Is he gonna make it for the four years of this thing or what? I mean, we're barely two years in. I think they would like to remove him, but their problem is, uh, as almost every poll shows with my uh, buddy Richard Barris of People's Pundit, basically everybody out, like you asked, what is Biden's best asset? He's not the alternative. He's not Kamala <laughs> Harris. You know, yeah. he's not Pete Buttigieg. He's not Hillary Clinton. He, he's not Gavin Newsom. 
uh, when these people pull against Trump, Trump crushes them. And so they're, they're stuck with them. They're stuck with a living, walking, talking dementia candidate in the White House, and they can't find a way out of it. And they use him as a figurehead, even though he's an increasingly embarrassing figurehead of the, of the corrupt regime that the White House now represents under the Biden administration and its incompetence as well. But they don't have a, they don't have a backup. There's no relief pitcher here to help. There's no backup quarterback to come in and save them. That's their problem. Is it crazy, Amala, how thin their bench is that, you know, everyone knows Biden is compromised and, you know, I, I said it the day he was inaugurated. I, do, I still believe it. I don't think he's going to make it all four years. I don't see how it won't just collapse at some point, either them forcing him out or him having like a true full on breakdown, you know, on camera and, and they won't be able to hide it anymore. But that there, as Robert says, it's like Kamala polling at zero in her own party when they plucked her for VP. Nobody really likes gay Pete, like the, the whole crew. It's like, there's, there's just nothing there. Right. I think they gave themselves away too quickly and just normal, reasonable, rational people of, of all sorts and of all uh, sides of the aisle cannot get behind anybody who's on their roster. And I want to say something nice. I have a lot of sympathy for, for Jill Biden for, for standing so strong and having to cover up every single embarrassing gaffe that happens with her husband. I mean, he clearly doesn't stand unless told to stand. So I'm sort of with you, Dave. I don't know that he's going to make it. And that's not something that I'm cheering on or excited about. I, I quite literally feel bad for him that he's being used as a puppet right now in his presidency, but that might be karma. You know, for the record, I think you can make the complete reverse argument about Jill, though, because she knows, if anyone knows what's really wrong with him and whatever drugs he's on and whatever they're doing yeah. to him to prop him up there, she knows. So in some ways, I get what you're saying about having sympathy for her mm -hmm. because it's embarrassing, but in another way, it's like, who, who's more evil in this situation? Like, is it the political hack that's using him or Obama or his own wife that's using him? Spencer, bring us home on that positive note. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you guys are all just being way too unkind to Biden. All they have to do is write stand up on his little cheat sheet. And <laughs> no, they have to write the president stands up. He <laughs> always the president stands up and you That's, are the president. I mean, yes, you, the president, Joe Biden, <laughs> yeah. which is also you stand up. Right. I mean, it's the staffers fault. They're not. No, the, I um, uh, I am. Nothing will surprise me at this point. And so I am agnostic, I think, about whether he He's going to make it, whether they can really force him through across the finish line. But I, I think the point about the thinness of the bench is really crucial. They have a serious problem on their hands, which is that all the energy, all the youth of the party is concentrated in this tiny vanguard that believes absolutely wackadoodle, bonkers, crazy town things about the most basic questions of human life, like male and female, right? Or race, even, you know, things mm -hmm. that are not just anti-American, but anti common sense, anti-human. Um, and, and to put that out in front of a political party is simply a no-go. It's simply, you know, not going to fly. They have to do their best to warp the minds of children into accepting it, but that's not going to pay off for another 20 years. So what do they do? You know, they have to find somebody that looks like a normal dude. Um, yeah, they're the closest, like, analog. The next best thing is Pete Buttigieg, and, you know, one shudders to think that that's the closest thing they have to a normal person. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's rough. It's, it's rough going for them. And, uh, and I hope that they, uh, they suffer for it politically. On that note, I just like to say that the three of you are three of my favorite fascists. And I hope you have, <laughs> I hope you have a great weekend. <laughs> you bigots. And, uh, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to finish up without you, but, uh, we'll, we'll do uh, you three together another time. I really enjoyed this. So thank you guys. Have a good weekend. 
wonderful. Thanks, pleasure. Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> All right, people, our first week back on the grid is about to come to a close. Uh, actually, baby Justin made his first uh, in-studio appearance right before we started the live stream. Maybe we'll, I, I don't want to use him as a prop, but I know the people want to see him. He, we've been showing some pictures in locals, but maybe I'll just plop him here and uh, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, anyway, let me get to a couple comments uh, from locals and then I'll tell you about a few things that are coming up soon. Maddie says, where is the content warning for the view clips? Connor, we're supposed to put the warning. All right, no guacamole for you with the Chipotle today. Uh, sorry about that, Maddie. You, you, you. Oh, by the way, something hilarious is probably happening on The View right now. As you guys know, The View, which is this crazy harpy sitting at this table, you know, screaming all day long. So I just saw this right before we started. So Anna Navarro, you know her. She's called me racist on Twitter before, just a nutbag. Um, she used to be a Republican. She worked for Marco Rubio. Then she decided she wanted to be a TV star. So she, be, you know, she's a, I don't know if she's a Democrat. She's just an idiot. But uh, she, they have Charlie Crist on the show today. Now, Charlie Crist is the guy running against Ron DeSantis. And everyone knows he's going to get obliterated. And there is no real functioning Democratic Party here in Florida. So they just threw him up. He's a former Republican governor. He used to be a Republican. And people used to hate him because he was anti-gay. A lot of people think he's gay. It's, it's a whole thing here. It doesn't matter with this clown. Um, but Anna Navarro, somebody, Brendan Leslie, this guy, uh, uh, Brandon Leslie, uh, who's a reporter down in South Florida, he found like a whole slew of tweets from Anna Navarro calling Charlie Crist the worst things in the world. So Charlie Crist is on The View today, and I do hope that Anna Navarro has the balls, the cojones, to read those tweets in front of Charlie Crist. I think not, but we'll find some clips because I'm sure something hilarious is going on. Right now, we'll play that on Monday. Uh, a couple other comments. Uh, Amy says, uh, saying that Gavin Newsom destroyed California is basically saying it's Tuesday. Yeah, we didn't even get into Gavin today, but he, I mean, all the things we talked about, about accusing everyone of what you're doing and all of that confession through projection. I mean, it is Gavin Newsom 101. Tony says, YouTube might as well be called WeTube since it's basically commie. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. You know, it, it did not have to be this way. And, you know, YouTube, it's a little hard for you as the viewer. You, you see these videos or you don't see these videos and you think, okay, well, I tap subscribe, maybe there's a bug or this happened, that happened. Or you don't think about it because you got your own life and, you know, watching this or watching anything else is just a small piece of your life as it should be. Um, but, you know, as someone that does this for a living and, and has businesses built around this, when they go out of our, their way to hide us in search, or when you, the subscriber, doesn't see our videos, you know, not only does it affect the bottom line, and that, that's one thing, we're doing okay, um, it's that, you know, it makes it harder to spread the message. So anyway, that's why uh, we are live streaming on Rumble every day, and I do hope that you're subscribed and watching over there and joining us at the Locals community, uh, rubenreport.locals.com. Part three of my interview with Jared Kushner is up on Rumble and YouTube right now. The full thing's up absolutely ad-free on Locals.com. I wish you a happy Friday and a wonderful weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.